In his first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul warned the young pastor about certain persons who were teaching false doctrines and corrupting the family of God. He described them as swerving away from the truth. Paul went on to describe the false teachers as having wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Like a drunk driver who swerves into the oncoming traffic, dangerous is the religious leader who is confidently wrong. So beware the swerving drunk driver in the pulpit. False doctrine taught by false teachers with confident assertions will crash the church into a nearby ditch and hurt innocent bystanders. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. The truth about false doctrine on today's Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for making us part of your day. Well, the book of 1 Timothy was written to a young clergyman in Ephesus who had been mentored by the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted to make it clear that the local church should be properly structured with elders and deacons carefully chosen on the basis of spiritual maturity. But Paul also warned Timothy about the dangers of false teaching urging him to rightly disseminate the Word of God with a mixture of boldness and humility. Paul's instruction is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And Ron shares Paul's wisdom with us next as he continues his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now with today's Something Good radio message, First Timothy, guarding the sacred trust. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Well, my wife, Catherine, grew up in a uh, loving Texas home where her parents uh, instructed both her and her two brothers in proper behavior, as any parents do. For example, uh, whenever Catherine went out with her friends in high school on a Friday night, just before she left the door, her dad would say this, remember who you are, where you came from, and what we stand for, and have a good time tonight. <laughs> it got a much bigger laugh at eight o'clock. I mean, eight o'clock hooted over that, maybe because the parents and grandparents were a little older. And they understand the wisdom of this. Remember who you are, where you came from, and what we stand for, and have a good time. <laughs> it was Catherine's parents' way of uh, sort of, you know, reminding Catherine and her brothers not to do anything that might embarrass the family or the family's name. Well, the church is like a family. Uh, the first letter that Paul wrote to a young clergyman named Timothy, young man he had been discipling, and who was now ready to serve the Lord at the church of Ephesus as the new pastor. Paul planted the church at Ephesus. He was there for three years, longer than any other church where he, where he planted. And now Timothy was installed as the new pastor. And in this first letter to Timothy, he refers to the household of God 
One of many places in the New Testament where we get the idea that the church is, yeah, it's the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so sometimes you gotta have, you know, an inside the family conversation. In chapter three in verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, uh, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, now listen to this, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. If I could paraphrase Paul saying to Timothy, no, whose you are, what Christ did for you, and what we stand for in the church. Whew, good things to remember. So let me ask you a question. Do you know how you ought to behave in the household of God so as not to bring reproach upon the God of the household? Do you know how you ought to behave in the household of God so you don't do anything that embarrasses yourself or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're gonna find out today by studying you know, 1 Timothy and uh, strapping on our seat belts a little bit tighter for this fast ride through this book and through this part of the ultimate road trip through the Bible. The New Testament includes three pastoral epistles. It's a little library inside the larger New Testament library. This is 1 and 2 Timothy and uh, Titus. And though these letters are written for the benefit of the entire body of Christ, Paul aims these letters to the pastor and to church leaders and to uh, maybe uh, church leaders who are over an assembly of churches. Now that is not to say there is not something for everyone in the body of Christ in the pastoral epistles. In fact, there is. But the fact that these are pastoral epistles makes this a little bit of what I might call inside baseball conversation this morning, all right? This is inside the household of God kind of conversation that we all need to be reminded of from time to time, especially those who are pastors, elders, deacons, and leaders in the church. In this letter, Paul, um, provides methodical instruction, as it were, to um, uh, sort of set forth the structure and the leadership of the church. And in that way, uh, the pastoral epistles defy those people who say, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. I always chuckle when I hear that. What, what's the alternative? Disorganized religion? I, I don't know. But the presence of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament remind us that God expects the pastors, the elders, the deacons of the church to conduct his business in an orderly manner and to know themselves and to teach others how we ought to behave in the household of God so we don't embarrass ourselves or the God of the household. Somebody please say amen. Let me know you're still with me, all right? The two letters to Timothy contain a charge from Paul. And Paul uses his apostolic authority to uh, sort of lay before this young pastor a sacred trust. A sacred trust that Paul describes in chapter 1 and verse 11 as in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Understand what Paul's doing. He was entrusted with a sacred deposit. 
And now he's passing it on to the next generation of pastors, this young clergyman named Timothy. And it kind of reminds me of the sacred transfer that must take place in a home as well. As parents, we have the responsibility of instructing our kids and bringing them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And in that, you know, you're passing your faith on to the next generation. You've been given a sacred charge and a sacred trust. And it doesn't end when they move out of the house, grandparents. It continues until your very last breath and the Lord takes you home. Well, what's true in the, in the, in the home is also true in the church. We have the responsibility to pass the deposit that was entrusted to us to the next generation of church leaders and, and people who, who will come. And Paul refers to this charge that he gives to Timothy at least 10 times in First and Second Timothy. Um, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, he writes, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, he was discipling this young man, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them, listen to this, you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. Understand the analogy here. He uses that phrase in chapter 1, wage the good warfare. He wants Timothy to understand this is not going to be easy. You are in a spiritual battle. You need to wage the good warfare. All the way at the end of the book, in chapter 6, he uses the phrase, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. And then all the way to the end of chapter 6, verse 20, guard the deposit that is entrusted to you. These are all phrases that add buoyancy to the charge that Paul lays before this young leader of the church. Now, he begins in chapter 1 with uh, warm greetings filled with grace and mercy and peace. We've grown to expect this from the Apostle Paul. But he quickly turns to warning Timothy about certain persons, he says, who are teaching false doctrines and corrupting the family of God. The first way, and perhaps the most important way to guard the deposit entrusted to you, to guard this sacred trust, is to guard it against false teaching. And Paul even warned when he left the church at Ephesus, there in the book of Acts, he gathered with the elders there on the coast as he was getting ready to sail away. And he says, beware, savage wolves are coming your way. He warned about the false teachers who would creep into the church. In his letter to 1 Timothy, he describes them as swerving. <laughs> I, love, I love that word. They're swerving. Uh, here we are on the ultimate road trip through the Bible, and imagine driving behind somebody who is swerving. It's a dangerous driver. Steer clear of that person. He says these false teachers were swerving, swerving away from the truth. They've wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Oh, how dangerous is the pastor or spiritual leader who is confidently wrong because they've swerved away from the truth, the truth of God's Word. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Look for it online at somethinggoodradio.org. 
Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of Scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And listeners, you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. The church was designed, at least in part, to be a place of protection from our adversary. That means identifying and eliminating false teaching wherever we find it. With the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, 1 Timothy, guarding the sacred trust, 
Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Now, Paul wastes no time in sharing his personal testimony in chapter one, and I, I kind of see this as him sharing his personal testimony and weaving the gospel into it as an antidote to false teaching. He says in chapter one, beginning in verse 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, Paul says, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I love this. I mean, Paul, Paul's not far from his own personal testimony, his robust gospel faith, and he just drops that in as an antidote to, to the false teaching. The, the best way we can guard the deposit entrusted to us is by having uh, robust gospel testimonies all over the church and you knowing what Christ has done for you and knowing what the church stands for and uh, having an ear tuned to the truth enough to pick up on false teaching. Now Paul closes chapter one by warning Timothy about some who made shipwreck of their faith. We've gone from swerving away from the truth to being shipwrecked and he names them. Whoo, Hymenius and Alexander, two men that we know about from 2,000 years ago, only from these verses. He says, these are men whom I have handed over to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. These were men who had shipwrecked their faith and were causing problems in the church. Handing them over to Satan is, is, is the picture of expelling them from uh, the sweet fellowship of the church that is a place of protection. That when the body of Christ is operating well, it's, it's a protection from the devil and you know, all that is evil creeping into the church. You get cast outside of that, well, you're on your own, that was the idea. It, it was a, a measure of church discipline for these two young men who had shipwrecked their faith. That brings us to chapter two where the overarching uh, theme here is, is the idea of guarding public worship, an important part of the life of any church. And uh, this is part of guarding the deposit that is entrusted to us. Paul begins with a call to lift holy hands and to make prayer a priority in the church. He says in uh, chapter two, verse one, first of all, that ought to get our attention. He's speaking as a matter of priority. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Um, he says prayer must be a priority. And as part of the priority of prayer, we need to pray for those who are in leadership positions and civic positions. Why? so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life. Prayer that orders society in a godly and dignified manner pleases God. And then he, he attaches it to the gospel again. He says, it pleases God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth. Paul makes a beeline to the gospel and he reminds Timothy and us, listen to this in chapter two, verses five and six, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Prayer 
is that which uh, uh, drives the gospel to all people. Prayer is that which uh, we use to uh, order society in a way that we can uh, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You upset about what's going on in our culture today? Start with prayer. Fight the battle on your knees. Paul says, make prayer a priority. There may be a time to protest. There may be a time to vote this way or vote that way, but not after you've prayed and prayed for your leaders. There may be a time to criticize and to hold a civic leader accountable, but not until you've prayed. When the church prays, things don't just change inside the church, they change outside the church, and the gospel advances. Sure, it advances in times of persecution. Just read Acts chapter eight. But the gospel advances even more when we're living lives of uh, peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified in every way, and prayer is so much a part of that. Now in chapter two and verse eight, Paul urges men to lead the church in prayer. Not at the exclusion of women who pray, but guys step up. Men, step up. Be the spiritual leaders we were called to be in the home and in the church. He says men ought to lead the church in prayer and not quarrel with one another. Stop your quarreling and start praying. If you spend more time praying together as men, you might spend less time quarreling is the idea. And then, while emphasizing the inner qualities of female godliness, Paul instructs women in several ways. To adorn themselves modestly, to learn quietly and submissively, and not exercise authority over a man in the church. All right, stay where you're seated. All right, don't, don't exit. All right. Just preaching through 1 Timothy here. Fully aware that Paul's instruction to women causes heartburn for some inside and outside the church. But in all the discussion about the role of women in the church, I often find a couple things that get lost in that discussion. First of all, he goes on to link this conversation to Genesis. He goes all the way back to Genesis and talks about how it was with Adam and Eve what is he doing by, by, by referring to that? He's linking the authority for what he has to say in creation, not culture. See, a lot of people want to dismiss Paul and say, well, it was a cultural thing back then. No, he links his instruction to creation, the way it was in the beginning. The second thing that is often lost is that Contrary to Judaism at that time, 2,000 years ago, what Paul's doing here is advancing the status of women by bringing them fully into the church, equal with men, though there are different roles and responsibilities. I called my friend Dr. David Sadaka, a Jewish rabbi and a Messianic believer in Jesus over the weekend. I said, tell me a little bit about the the uh, synagogue in the first century. How were women treated? He said they were segregated. Uh, the women were, were there at the synagogue, but over here <laughs> uh, in their own entrance and in their own room. And so, you know, and there's a whole lot more to that discussion, but any suggestion that Christianity or the Apostle Paul is chauvinistic and anti-women is plain false. It just is. It takes all of us working together for the body of Christ to be healthy. Pastors, deacons, elders, lay people. 
But Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and it is to him and him alone that we ultimately submit. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, 1 Timothy, Guarding the Sacred Trust. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. And you have to have the discernment to know that just because somebody might use uh, the language of Orthodox Christianity, have they redefined it in some way? There's a lot of that going on today. They've swerved this direction. So it is, it is the responsibility of the pastor, the pastors, the elders, to guard the good doctrine. And any swerving this direction, any swerving that direction, no, you bring them back to the lanes. And our lane is defined by the Word of God. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, First Timothy, Guarding the Sacred Trust. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.